0: Mr. uh, uh oh, excuse me, Lord Scarbladder, you and your horde of orcs are gonna find these catacombs no sufficient for your needs. If you'll just uh, follow along there on that non-repo blue enumerated floor plan I've provided. But you see, you see, there are 33 main chambers, 5 secret corridors, and a particularly nasty passage into the Underdog. Did I mention that the previous owners is gonna leave behind this carrion
1: parlor?
2: Yes, yes, it's all very nice. But do
0: I really need eight different pit traps?
1: I'll lose half my goblin
0: hirelings before the first adventurer ever steps foot into the place.
3: think of it as a uh,
0: lackey incentive program. Oh, so those damned magic mouths are never alcove. Well, that's the price you gotta pay for security. And this maze section.
1: Do you really think that I want to get up and work through that every morning? It could be model. Do you know what it's going to cost? to replace those Iron Maidens, alone and alone.
0: Hey, don't sweat it, don't sweat it. You know what? I know some people.
2: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this world. Ah. Hi, this is Bob Bob Bob, Bob-
0: the, the-, the- d And now, it's time for the show, This it's Old it. Dungeon, oh. the show where Grodinards go to get the Grog on. We
2: tend to do this, we're going to get a lot of stuff done, or he kicks my ass,
0: we're gonna be off. Featuring your hosts!
3: I'm Briggy, I'm Thomas' wife, and I'm the Noob. Somebody here call a carpenter.
1: Uh, this is Thomas, husband to Briggy, And uh, let's see, I work in a library. I write, I draw, I paint, I do all of this, but none of it very well. The truth is, I can only find
2: games. No.
0: This is Lou Alme. I can charitably call myself a game designer and game publisher, but definitely a veteran role player, thirty-five plus. Number.
1: We work on it the rest of the night. We get it together. We can do this, right?
2: There's no way in hell we can do it. I love it when a plan
0: comes together. Well, welcome to this little Uh Here we are. It's, uh, what is it guys, May 6th?
3: Yes, yes it is. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. May 6th, uh, continuing our lives in captivity and uh, here tonight to talk with you guys about role-playing. Uh, what's been going on,
1: guys? Um, gee, well, I threw my back out really bad, just doing a bunch of different projects around the house. Uh, I've been going to the chiropractor for <laughs> physical therapy, and they've put me on a uh, muscle relaxant, a pain reliever, and actually a steroid to help with the inflammation.
0: Yikes. Failed the fortitude yeah. save.
1: Yeah, <laughs> very much.
0: <laughs> Briggy, what have you been up to?
3: Um, my daily life hasn't changed much. I work from home, so I've been working, and you know, cooking, cleaning, whatever. And do
0: you have to respond to the the little ringing of the bell when uh, Thomas needs something with his bad back?
3: Oh no, no, nothing like that.
0: <laughs> nothing
3: like that. But uh, um, you know, this is getting used to be having more people home during with more hours. You know, that's yeah. all And the dog, Definitely barking every time I have a meeting
2: <laughs>
3: Always But it, right now, I mean For us it's kind of normal In my company Because we are um, You know, most of us are working from home anyway And so We're kind of used to it But um, I like that I know where everybody is so,
1: Yeah. We've been doing almost most every Saturday, except last Saturday. I just was not up to it. Um, you know, we just kind of had a downtime with it. We've been going through the um, Wizards. Uh, they've done it a couple of times, but the most recent version of Ravenloft, the Curse of Strahd, Excellent. is uh, what we've been going through. Uh, yep. And everyone's been really loving it. Um, they are third-level characters and they have already by the fourth game made it down to the crypt. Oh wow. They sur- they survived. The to <laughs> me am- and I've not been pulling the punches. You know, not at all. Um, and, you know, it it's amazing. I'm I, I tell them all the time I'm so surprised you guys have made it this far.
0: Are they uh, are they far enough into the crypt where they've triggered the trap where they uh, one of them gets replaced <laughs> with <laughs> the <laughs>
1: No. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Uh, have you faced any straw zombies yet?
1: Yes, they have faced straw zombies mm-hmm. and a uh, werewolf. Now, was and, that uh, well?
0: I, I I can't remember the new one as well as the old one, but in the old one, I think the werewolf was like the accountant or something like that. Is it like not that, this one? Not this one. Okay.
1: They've, each one adds a little something different. Yeah. To I know we're not talking about that tonight, but there's yeah. the original Ravenloft and all the first and second edition stuff, you know, because it mm-hmm. just blew up. Third edition, didn't they do one called yeah. Castle Ravenloft, and that was uh, a third party? No, it, that did that, that one. No, um, they did
0: uh, Expedition to Castle Ravenloft, and it was an actual uh, Wizards of the Coast product.
1: Okay, yeah, but that was the third um, third edition version. Yeah. I don't was one for no. fourth. I no, I didn't play fourth. <laughs> Uh,
0: I think they made a box
1: game for 4th of the
2: Okay.
1: Well, I made the jump to Pathfinder there. And we've come back, and I'm really liking Cursed of Strahd. It's got the feel of that original module, mm-hmm. which, you know, hey, we can talk about that at some point, too.
0: Yeah, and definitely we will, because it's one of my faves.
1: Yeah, it's really good. In fact, what's funny is every single version um, that I've seen of it really just takes that original map. And updates it very little, because it was so good yeah, at Yeah, it
0: was the star, really, in my opinion. I mean, that that made that module, that map. I mean, it, it had all the ambience you needed.
1: Yeah, I find myself looking very closely at it so I can track where they are. You know, because there's a lot to it. And yeah. I'm not drawing everything out, because that's just a nightmare for that. And only if it really comes into it in combat or, you know... If it's just a one monster or so encounter, I'm not drawing it out. But if it starts to get a little complicated... You know, we do that. Nice. So, but that's what we've been doing. Um, I think after, if, depending on what goes on with this, Al, my son Al, might run a uh, might run a game for us. Be one of his first times, or I'll run another D and D game. In fact, if we do, I would probably will run Keep on the Borderlands
2: <laughs>
1: because Julia it. has really glommed on to, uh, Allison's daughter has really. Um, sorry, I'm just not doing briggy. Um Anyway, <laughs> yep. um, might as well forget that. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, she's really glommed onto the D and D. She really likes it. It got her player's handbook. She's got her own dice. She enjoys it. But she likes online, like role play through texts and things like that. Hmm. So she enjoys it. So. And M plays along because it's something everyone does, and she'll play with the family, but she won't pe- play with people outside of the family. Hmm. But that's her. And Al is part of the D&D club at school, so yeah.
2: Nice. Hmm. Yeah,
0: only thing I've been up to uh, a couple weeks back, uh, I already told you guys, but say it again for the sake of the audience, uh, I attended the Virtual Cyclops Con uh, put on by Goodman Games. And uh, that was the first time I've ever done really role-playing online. Had a great time, and it's really inspired me to look for more of those online cons. A lot of them are, you know, relatively cheap. And uh, it's amazing how much of a con atmosphere you can create uh, through a lot of the interactions and uh, events that you can host online. Uh, They had like an online... uh, bar meetup and stuff they had a lot of uh online seminars where you could you know zoom in and ask questions and, and feel face to face with these people i mean in some respects I almost felt like i had more access uh to people you know to the the prominent people of the convention uh, than at a regular convention it was fun a lot of
1: fun that's cool. cool. You mentioned wanting to game with us sometime, and I would love to do that. Um, I, like I said, I don't know about Roll20, but I would do Discord and I would do Zoom. You know? mm-hmm. And I'm not worried about fairness of dice, because I think we're yeah. all mature enough to just roll it, do it. and Yeah, I botched it. Or, no, oh, I got a 20, seriously. <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, you know. Well, what's been saving them in the Ravenloft game? what well, in the last session we had five twenties like natural twenties which at very key moments which saved their bacon <laughs> nice
0: all right well let's head on to our next segment go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest real quest all right for grill quest this week uh, is there anybody out there that uh is looking for a particular thing or came up with something they're, they're trying to figure out?
1: Um, I have not. What about you?
0: I do have one. Uh, so as you may or may not know, I'm working on this game, uh, the Dare Luck Club, and it's kind of a game with uh, kind of a Goonies atmosphere to it. Um, I've I'm, I'm got it all written. I'm, I'm in the first kind of run-through of Layout. And uh, I've gotten to the end of it where it's got its you know included adventure module, and I'm really having a hard time deciding what is the best format for an adventure. And there's so many little you know bells and whistles we can talk about there, but but one of the main things is is it better to have the uh, monsters and maps and things like that in the periphery? Is it better to have that like at the end of the adventure where it's all in one spot? or is it better to have it in the adventure where they occur so like you know for example in this adventure the kids go to a library uh, where they they find some gangsters trying to find some information Uh, should that library map be right there on the pages where all that stuff's described should the gangsters write ups be right there or should that all be moved to the end what do you guys think
1: hmm um you have anything
3: um let's see they're they go to the library and they see gangsters trying to get info
2: is
0: yeah but, but I mean yeah that's the the particular setup that I'm throwing out there, but it's i mean it's really the the details are are kind of moot it's uh it's more or less when you're going through when you're trying to run an adventure, is it better yeah. if it's a stock adventure is it better to have that information, the stats and like the maps and things? Is it better to have that right there on the page where they occur, or is all that extra stuff better to be in a, a you know like the back of the book where anytime you need to reference it, you know exactly where it is? So if this character or this place is referenced again later in the game, um, you, you just go to you know to the end of it instead of having to find that first time it was referenced.
3: It depends. For me, I think it depends on how. Uh, your graphics are going to be. So, I mean, if you want a really nice detailed map, then you're going to maybe put it in an appendix, and then in your description, you can tell them to see the map and the,
1: you know, on that page mm-hmm. or whatever. That's that's what I think. I th- I think it's a little. Uh, it might be good for a combination of both. It's nice to have one master map. Kind of shows everything.
3: Yeah, like in the yeah. back,
1: like mm-hmm. a big one. one. Yeah, like printed it yeah. off as a PDF, and, and some box sets and introductory games will come out with the foldable one because it's one of the bells and whistles they do with that. But I, I also think it's really nice that I like having the stats. If I'm doing a module, I do some. You know, we do both. You know, we're not we're obviously not poo pooing modules, but it's nice to have the the write up right there. But then also, I'll do things like come up with a master sheet of NPCs and monsters. And have it, you know, mm-hmm. I move it around as I go. Um, but then again, when you're looking at something like that, like take the the module we're going to talk over later tonight, you have, you know, the non-repro blue, which, you know, <laughs> I'm holding it up for the camera so uh, Briggy can see. Um, yep, there's the master map, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got all my versions of it here next to me. <laughs> and... Um, but that's in the old days of modules where they kind of – you pulled them apart like that. So you could have your right. map mod, map right in front of you, flip to the pages, and it's right there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which I do a lot of. Now, like with the Ravenloft game we're doing, um, I've put like a paper clip or a piece of paper in there, and I flip back and forth a lot. Um, I also went through the trouble of getting the Castle Ravenloft screen because – as Bricky's going to want to say, I'm a sucker for screens. He's like uh, kinda a am.
3: DM screen whore, but whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Uh, Lou here has actually made me one before. Uh, <laughs> I, my, my West End Games DC Heroes screen that I use is better than the one that came with the game. It's huge, but he made it with... You printed off the stuff, made your own, uh, and used colored um this is this thing's 20 years old i think at this point (laughs) yeah probably so Um, yeah you used colored uh manila folders you know to give it that four color comic book look uh taped all the stuff to it and then laminated it and gave it to me yeah that's cool poe folks have poe ways oh yeah (laughs) and you know being that both of us kind of work for uh the taxpayers. We of course abuse our <laughs> taxpayers' money sometimes and use resources.
0: To I will manage. neither confirm nor deny. Nor <laughs> <laughs>
1: deny. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: I mean, there's a section in some books just for some NPCs that you can get stats on, mm-hmm. like, but it doesn't have to be necessarily right there.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, the I, I'm right at this point story. where. I, I, I'm trying to hit 200 pages as my page count, and I'm at, like, well, 196 with some, like, BS to throw in front and a couple of things in back I want to throw in. So it's like if I double print them, if I put it both in line in the text when you first, you know, encounter the character and at the suggestion. end, I don't think I can do it. Go ahead.
1: What if you had your master map and then, like, suppose you had a smaller section – like you had the big master map of the library or the warehouse or mm-hmm. supervillain layer or whatever. And here's the big master map, and then on the map it says, you know, um, research lab. And that's all it says. But then and so you know where it's at. And then when you get to that section that has the write up on the research lab, it's a more detailed map. That could be one way to do it.
0: Oh, like uh, like kinda I think the the Curse of Strahd kind of does that too, where it breaks the castle down like room by room on some of the pages, doesn't it? Is that kind of what we're talking um, about?
1: Not in this version.
0: Okay, it must be the expedition one There's
1: a pullout that does map with that. the pieces, though, honey. Right? What's that? Well, the I the do. Map it does. Has... It has an insert. Yeah. Because it's a hardcover module, it does have an insert in the back, and you can pull the map out. And I've only used it once or twice. Once for the town of Barovia, and then once for the um, Valley of Barovia i used that a couple of times. But what's cool about the Curse of Strahd screen is it has a breakdown of the valley and the castle on the screen. I can see it right there. Um, hey, I had a question concerning your page count. Have you thought of adding, or have you already added any kind of, like, fiction as an introductory thing to the to the setting or to the game? Uh, there's you know, a... A lot of RPGs do that now.
0: Yeah, uh... I'm not super hot on that, um, but I did, like, the, the very first page, which will be, I think, actually, I'm, I'm looking at maybe printing it on the back of the cover, um, is like this, this letter to the editor that this old man wrote complaining about the kids, and it kind of helps set the tone for, like, what sort of adventures these kids are going to be going on, and what kind of a feel the game will have, um, so it's like, you know, this grumpy old man, you know, this, uh, oh, Dennis the Menace, what was his, uh, next door neighbor? Um, anyhow,
2: Mr. yeah, Mr. Wilson,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mr.
2: Wilson, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's kind of like him, you know, bitching about the kids and all these things they did around the neighborhood and all this and all the things they think are going on. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's about all I've got as far as, is going into pros, uh, just because I, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes that stuff backfires. You know, it's it's a real crapshoot what people want yeah. there.
1: It depends on the setting. Like if you open up a battle tech book, it's almost it it's missing if it doesn't have that little mm-hmm. short story in it. You know, but in a D and D game, not necessary. There's so many flavors of, of fantasy, and there's you know, and Wizards and TSR have entire novels. You know, from Forgotten Realms and Drizzt. To Dragonlance and all that, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of moot to add an extra story in there.
0: Yeah, I found that like, uh, for instance, Hollow Earth Expedition, which is one of my faves. Um, mm-hmm. It has some of that stuff in it, and I, I always skip those. I'm always like, man, I know this genre, man. I know, you know, I know how it's supposed to feel. I know what kind of yeah. characters it's going to have. Uh, you know, it doesn't really thrill me to read somebody else's story on it. But uh, I don't know. All right. Well, that makes sense. How about you, brigie? You got anything that you've been looking for searching for in gaming?
3: Um no, I mean that it's, it's a something that's kind of a little silly thing that i'm I've uh, happened to me in while I was gaming um uh I find it very upsetting that when people have open mic <laughs> while you're gaming and and all different things can occur it's <laughs> <is, laughs> Oh, yeah. Happening like <laughs> moms threatening, and I just it makes me very uncomfortable uh, to be around people that you know.
1: That well, you have do an open several life. MMORPGs, too. Yes. so it's, it's very essential to a lot of those if you're going to coordinate. <laughs> it's yeah.
3: I just um, so with the times that they are now, uh, you know, and not a lot of actual. Tabletop gaming so close happening. Um, these open mic situations. And my boss has an open mic as well, but that's a different, entirely different complaint. Um, <laughs> um, but I just wish people would not have the open mic. But it, I mean, because then it makes my game less uh, stressful because I I game to have fun and not to hear people fighting and they're freaking open mic yes <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Basically>.
3: <laughs> that's what I want a little bit more fun in the gaming so I don't have to hear uh, family dysfunction like you said yes but other than that I'm I'm finding um, games to be pretty fun right now I'm grateful that we have so many people in the house because there's a lot of people that don't have anybody so um you know we're kind of blessed with our many multiple people right you yeah. your household and, and ours so
0: yes very much so yeah.
3: yeah so i can't complain too much but boy it, it makes me highly uncomfortable with the mom yelling about some kid being up till midnight you know, on the open mic so <laughs> <laughs> that's my only that's my only want right now in gaming uh-huh. it's, you know less uh, whining more happiness <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: All right. Yeah, it really has been a little irritant to her. I am looking for. Um, I want to do some online gaming, but like I said, Roll Twenty is just too much of a learning curve for me. Uh, um, so, whenever you're ready and want to try either a Skype or a Zoom game, uh, Lou, let me know. I'm yeah, here.
2: yeah. Well, I'll tell I you. I'm... I
1: talked about it last week, some, but I mean, just getting over this whole back thing. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, man, I feel for you. Know. you. You know,
0: I, I'm sure mine wasn't quite as bad as yours, but I've had a back injury, and for anyone that that hasn't had one, it's uh, it's a pretty serious thing, man. Long time to recovery too.
1: Oh yeah, during the great pandemic of 2020, you know, were you affected by you know, uh, the virus? Well, not in not directly, but indirectly, it gave me a bunch of free time to do projects around the house I've been meaning to do, and it killed me. <laughs> <laughs> Like here, I'm going to turn the screen so you can see it, Lou. Right behind me, I put together this bar cart. Ooh, Yep. You know, we got a, wagon. we went and got a new lawnmower. Oh yeah, we <laughs> went uh, went and got a uh, uh, a new lawnmower. We were doing yard work, and you know, I put together Allison's. Uh, brick, you know, we're just going to go with the names anyway. Yep. Um, I put together the sewing closet for her, you know, yep. so she can mm-hmm. access her sewing, you know, materials a lot more easily and readily. So, yes, yeah. before
3: it was a pile of stuff and you moved one thing and everything fell on you, basically. That's <laughs> right. how it and, was before, you know, but now it's nice and neat.
1: I'm ready to go back to work and be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh,
0: let's move on into our mail segment here. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from.
1: My opinion is that a writer is a total wacko. All right, so
0: we, uh, we don't have any official email yet, but uh, thanks to the fine folks at the old-school TSR Gamers uh, Facebook page, uh, we got thrown a couple bones oh. here. <laughs> we had one response uh, to the, the concept of our podcast. Uh, uh, Jerome Thomas wrote, I think the appeal of old modules is their retro nature. Playing them takes you back to another era of gaming. Uh, if you start tweaking them to appeal to a more modern gaming sensibility... Well, I don't see why you don't just run a modern module uh, module in the first place. So uh, let's uh, let's respond to that. What do you think?
1: Um,
0: Is what we're doing asinine? Well,
1: it's what we're doing tonight. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's impotent <laughs> nerd rage, maybe. But um, well, here's the thing. Companies are doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in front of me three different versions of the module we're going to talk about tonight. Um, I've got the original. I've got the second edition update, which I found, <laughs> looked on the shelf and lo- I do have one. Um, and then there's the new version by Goodman Games that reprints the original and rep- and basically the update is just a systems update. Is all it is. Uh, the material that's inside of it not really changed. So I think there's a difference between up. Creating a, a, a setting or a module adventure story whatever you want to call it there's a big difference between updating that with a different rules set and then updating it thematically to fit with styles of gaming now like there's a lot of styles of gaming just aren't crunchy anymore mm-hmm. or they're a lot less crunch you know uh, so i i think that's the fine line there systems systems are systems whatever you use that's what it is you know I don't know. What do you think, uh, About
3: module, no module, basically? No, no.
1: Um, you know, like, uh, should we, you know, should we update them or just run them as they are intended originally?
3: Oh, oh, well, yeah, golly. Um, I think that leaving them the way they are is fine. I think that if you, you know, just like kind of what you do, uh, you can put your own spin on anything, um, as long as you're not being over one way or the other, you know, not throwing them a bone or throwing them too many or whatever as a GM, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I don't think you have to rewrite them or redo them. But I think that, you know, the next generations that are now gaming or starting the game probably aren't going to use as many older modules as they are newer ones. But I think that's just because unless they have a hankering for it, they're not going to look for them. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In fact, that's why um, I would love to use something like the Beckney version, basic expert uh, and all of that uh, with the kids at the library, because it's it's very simple, but very fun, very dynamic in its simplicity, elegant even. Um, but they're all about the rage of fifth edition. So I think that the better way to do this, to introduce them. Because let's just be honest, there's not a bunch of fourteen and fifteen year olds that are going to go out and try and find old copies of the Red Box. <laughs>
0: it's
1: just not going to happen.
0: They don't have that uh, kind what of if money anymore. Some of those.
1: What if? Yeah. <laughs> what if we took the concepts of old school uh, Red Box, Beckme, Holmes, Moldvay, and used modern rules for them? You know, I do. A, I do a couple of things in the library game just to make it easy. Um, we're using 5th edition, but I have them... One person, I roll for the bad guys, they roll for themselves. A D6, Whoever, whatever gets highest goes first. And that's right out of original O D and uh, d That's not 5th edition, but the reason I do that is it makes it a lot faster and easier, and some of these kids have a short attention span, so I need to make it move quick.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my, my response is just the idea that... Um, I mean... I don't see these old school games and old school modules as being any sort of sacred tombs. You know, these are not, you know, the Gospels. Um, Right. They they are... And
1: even the Gospels have different translations.
0: Yeah. They are a a product of their time, and they were made in this very frontier environment where people were, you know, trying to figure out, well, how do you write an adventure? What, What happens if we give them this sort of problem or or you know what what if we just put these kind of monsters randomly in these areas um and some of that stuff hits the mark and some of it doesn't but all in all there's a sort of uh, mythos that they created for most of us gamers and i feel like what what i'm trying to do anyhow on this program is is be able to pass that mythos on to other gamers by saying hey look you know here's the story uh of you know for instance tonight uh the keep on the borderlands and here's a way that it can be retold where it has meaning to you, to, to the way you play and the way that the expectations that, you know, the modern gamer has as far as how a, a you know, a game is structured and, and, and you know, how the encounter should go and that sort of thing. Uh, I definitely I think the art that we have here that we're trying to accomplish is balancing the you know the, the feel and the what the original provides uh with the updates, you know, trying not to lose what it what it is that we love about these originals, but still changing them enough that that they seem pertinent.
1: Yeah, well, we're trying. We're kind of trying to tap into our nostalgia. Yes. A little bit, and there's, you know, I, I coined a term I call nostalgia burn, and that's when you find something. Uh, the best way to describe it is you're going through Netflix and you find some show you used to watch back in the eighties <laughs> or seventies or nineties.
2: Curse you, They're Elf. Like,
1: oh, yeah. Oh, I, well, not Elf. But,
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I like loved elf.
1: this show as a kid, as a teenager, whatever. And, you know, I'm going to watch this. And you watch the first episode and you get burned because you're trying to revisit what you were then. And it doesn't work because that doesn't hold up mm-hmm. the way it used to. You know.
0: Yeah, Six Million Dollar Man, uh, The Incredible Hulk that I I, total nostalgia burn on those for me, man.
1: Yeah. Now I, a couple of years ago, I watched, I rewatched the first episode of the incredible Hulk. It was on Hulu or something. And I was like, Oh, this is, it actually held up. But then again, after a while, after you watch a couple more episodes, it's formulaic. Mm. And so after a while you're like, Oh, okay. (laughs) You might have an episode that stands out a little bit, a little different plot, really good guest actors that week or something. You know, and and it's really good. But most of them are. Bruce Banner rolls into town, takes maybe some kind of menial job. Maybe the menial job is at a place where he can do some study about himself and get cured. Meets up with some bad guys in the town. There's an initial Hulk appearance. Things settle down a little bit. The the drama builds. Bruce Banner really gets his butt kicked right at the end. (laughs) But boom, then here comes the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) Trashes everybody, and he has to heist tail it out of town. That's the fugitive, also doctor on the <laughs> run, trying to find the one-armed man.
0: Eighteen, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, eighteen, yeah. Oh, hey, how how many times MacGyver? in
0: the episode?
1: <laughs> at least MacGyver was witty, but and yeah. I love the team. You know, don't get me wrong. No, mm. oh, I love 18. all these shows. Yeah, at the end of every episode, they're gonna you know, hey, let's lock them up so they can't do any good. Well, they lock them up in an abandoned Home Depot. <laughs> You know, with all the equipment and, <laughs> and construction tools they could need. You
0: know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, and that's the thing. Like, these are all movies or not movies? TV shows that that we really love, and that you know we thought, oh, you know, they're awesome. But you watch them now, and and, and things have changed. Our expectations have changed, and we see that oh, there's these granules of of you know wonder and greatness in them. That you know could be if you know if a studio wanted to, they could revive those. They could take those and bring them you know new life and, and still hold on to the things that are best about them. And uh, I think that's what I'm trying to do
2: anyhow.
1: Yeah, well, that's like yeah. how I feel about the 1979 Buck Rogers TV series. The effects are do not necessarily hold up. A lot of them are recycled from Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> the costumes, the sets, everything. But if you're watching it with and, and you know Gary Coleman as another genius frozen from the 20th century <laughs> doesn't hold up but you just kind of watch it and go with it but then there every once in a while you'll find a theme in the show that's like oh wait they're actually trying to do some serious drama science fiction inside all the campiness
0: <laughs> are you uh are you taking crib notes for your star frontiers game
1: uh no
2: no okay um, <laughs> although I have
1: I've kind of I figured something out with my Star Frontiers game, though. There's no need to do that because uh, Wizards of the Coast pretty much did that with the D20 Modern setting. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I'm, I'm still working on something, but I'm going to get a little there more you. into it before I talk about it again.
0: No. Yeah. All right. We got one other response. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Matt Tal, Uh he suggests that we look into the city-state of the Invincible Overlord. Uh, he says it's been his go to uh, very often. Uh, he uses the streets and business names and the idea of plots moving events under the streets, multiple factions and all of them unsavory. I've used the dungeon maps for the Sunstone Caverns for a post apocalyptic game, the personalities sketched in there for the rules uh, for uh, courtesans and assassins. It's an endless source of inspiration to me. The well never goes dry. So uh, you are you guys familiar with that one, the city state of the
1: invincible overlord? No, but that sounds like no. in the spirit of what we're doing though, and I've done that yeah. before.
0: Yeah, that's a, a judges guild uh, uh, creation. There, uh, I think <laughs> I don't know why it keeps coming up, but Goodman Games <laughs> I think's also uh, reproducing that and uh, and uh, publishing it. Uh, it's, uh, oh, that's cool. it's supposed to be coming out here soon. But there's also some other uh, less uh, recent reprints of it. I- I've never really read it or anything. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, sounds interesting to me. Um, definitely something we might look into, Matt. All right. All right. You guys do- don't happen to have any yeah. uh, questions or anything that anyone sent you guys, right? That, no. No. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's head into the next segment then. This
2: old dungeon. Only supposed to blow the
0: bloody doors off. All right, we're back. Uh, although being our second episode, uh, we'll make a few mistakes here and there, right? So we made the mistake, or I made the mistake, of not giving you our contact information. So if if you're out there listening to this and you would like to send us an email, uh, you know, telling us what games we should cover, giving us your own opinion of what we're doing. Uh, Ask us any questions. We'll handle that. We'd love to. Uh, you need to email us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com. That's this O-L dungeon at gmail.com. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, so this old dungeon, we're, we're taking on the task of uh, renovating the classic module B2, the Keep on the Borderlands. Uh, so this, obviously most people know this. This is tried and true. Printed in uh, 1979 in December. Uh, it was written by Gary Gygax. uh is revised by Dave Cook, Lawrence Schlick, um, edited by Mike Carr. Frank uh, Menser had a little piece in it. Uh, it's got some art by uh, Diesel, Errol Otis, Jim Roslov. I mean these are you know these are the heavy hitters, the classic uh, force behind TSR here. Uh, there's over a million and a half in print. There were two covers on the original uh, release: one that's like a darker uh, purplish magenta, one that's more pinkish. Um, and it's been obviously redone a million times. Um, you got the silver edition uh, version of it that came out on the 25th anniversary of TSR. You got the Return to the Keep of the Borderlands that was launched that same year. You got Hackmaster and Goodman Games. Uh, so that's that's the history uh let's uh let's get into it all right all right so i think uh one of the things we want to start with is to uh kind of just get a uh you know our, our, our own personal takes on it and i know bricky that uh that that you are a uh, keep on the borderlands virgin <laughs> uh oh yeah so uh this will be interesting to see uh, as we roll across things what you think of them but um Thomas, uh, where were you? What were you doing? What, what? Where in history does this module bring you back to?
1: It goes back real early, almost to day one. Um, I remember that because my, my gateway drug into RPGs was Star Frontiers in junior high. And I loved it. And we were at, my mom and I were at the Lafayette Square Mall in Indianapolis. Uh, I want to say it was an old Woolworths store um, that was there. And I went in, and I'm looking around. I'm in the toy section, and I'm in the game section. There was this wire rack that had the D&D Redbox, uh, version that was there. And I got that. I think I went back to that store the following week and got the Keep on the Borderlands off the shelf. And so, yeah, that was my original one. I just loved how it was set up. Um, it just that, Anyway, that's where it comes in. And then I took it home and ran it for my friends.
0: So yeah, I, I personally got this module. Uh, my aunt Ruby, God bless her soul, uh, she knew that I was into gaming. It was uh, you know early on is you know when you first get into gaming, uh, you dive head first, and it's all you talk about, it's all you do, it's all you're interested in, consumes your entire life. Uh, and she she quickly picked up on that. And some friend of hers was getting rid of this big crate of gaming stuff, and she's like, Yeah, sure, I'll take that. I got a, n- a nephew that would love that. And gave it to me, and it was full of all sorts of stuff. About like ninety percent of it was D and D stuff, and the other ten percent was weird stuff that I had no idea at the time what it belonged to or you know what it meant. But uh, this module was have, in there. Go ahead.
1: Have you since figured out what that other stuff was?
0: Well, uh, being the dummy I was back then, I got rid of all the stuff that I didn't understand. I was like, this this isn't D and D. So uh, some of that stuff I did come to. I was like, oh, you know, that belonged to this, or oh, that was, you know, this game system. Um, Maybe
1: it was the first one of the first editions of Call of Cthulhu. One of the, you know, that's the other. Yeah, thing that, the
0: I, I, I don't think there was any of that particular, but I do know like there was some Task Force games. Uh, um, uh, oh, what was their product? they like Delta Force game that they had, and there was uh, oh, what was the one that was? Oh, there was like a Lord of the Rings, uh, like the the old ice uh stuff which is now worth like Ice. hundreds yeah yeah
1: I- and iron crown enterprises places. yeah yeah um
0: but anyhow so yeah this was in there with a lot of other stuff and uh uh one night some kids from down the way we we've always lived in the country so you know country block away they would come over on saturday nights and we'd have pizza and watch uh stay up and watch snl and uh uh, I had this I was like guys guys you gotta play this game you gotta play this game and so uh, having only read through the modules lightly I uh, ran them through this and we had a hell of a time I and mean, it was like maybe four o'clock in the morning before they walked down the gravel road to go home so it's pretty fun
1: that's cool that is cool I ran this for my cousins much the same way too
0: and, and you ran this for me too I uh, that's one of the one of yeah, our I best adventures this, I remember the stealing the
1: silver oh yeah that was a lot of fun the silver anniversary 25th TSR Return to Keep on the Borderlands. That was the one I ran. Second edition game.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, so I, I guess for for Briggy's sake and for any listener who doesn't know the game, uh, because this is one of your tried and true favorites, Thomas, you want to break us down on the basic synopsis of it?
1: All right, the basic synopsis. Um here. If you're if you're looking at the i I'll read the, the first I'm gonna <laughs> read the, the cover copy to this. Dungeon Module B two, The Keep on the Borderlands by Gary Gygax. Introductory module for characters level one through three. It's for Dungeons and Dragons basic set. Because ad and I think was out at the time. Yeah. Uh, this module includes a cover folder with maps and complete description booklet to form a ready-made scenario for Basic Dungeons and Dragons. It has been spe- specially designed to use by beginning dungeon masters so that they may begin play with a minimum of preparations. With minor modifications, it is also suitable for use with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Within are many features to aid novice players and dungeon masters, legends, history, and background information, a list of adventuring characters, tips on how to be an effective dungeon master, plus an interesting area for characters to base themselves in the keep before setting out, setting out to explore the Caves of Chaos. If you enjoyed this module, look for more releases in the d and family from TSR, the Game Wizards. The basic... There's not a lot of adventure hooks for this. Uh, little to none. In fact... I think some of the earlier modules did not have adventure hooks. You could take the module and dump it into your existing campaign as it is. Uh, that's just the way it works. Um, and I've always said modules work best as scripts. They are open to adaptation by the director and actors. The director being the game master, dungeon master, and the uh, actors being the uh, players and player characters. Anyway. Yeah, they'll sure screw up a module. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they will. Um, Anyway, so basically there's this keep, uh, you know, this sort of not quite huge castle out in this mysterious and very vague borderlands. So you're out in the wild, the frontier, the Wild West Um, characters, you know, can, can and probably should show up there first, you interact with people in the area, you find out rumors, you find out, uh, uh, things about the the caves. One adventure hook that goes on quite often is there's been a lot of raiding parties in the area lately, and people at the keep want to put a stop to it. So, the, uh, The caves are away, uh, are far away from the keep, I would say at the distance of plot. However (laughs) far you need the people to go to get to the caves of chaos is how long it takes. Um, caves of chaos are usually, I think usually it's a day away. That's what most people do. And it's in, it's further into the wilderness. And you go into this area and you find basically this almost a valley dotted with caves. And in these caves are monsters and the brigands that have been raiding the roads and stuff like that. There's a cult. There's all kinds of things uh, that are in there. And your, your job is to go in there and clean it out or at least stop the, uh, the raiders or whatever. And the idea is you go to the caves, you adventure a bit, you need to heal up, you need to resupply, you go back to the keep, you bounce back and forth, you bounce back and forth until you've cleared it out. Now you can, um, Generate more storyline as you go in this, but this is more or less... I mean, you you can get in with the cultists. You can get in with the raiders. There's the monsters. But honestly, this is that classic module where you go into the dungeon, kill the monsters, and take their stuff. Um, More or less, that's it. I have to say, in the 25th anniversary return to the Keep on the Borderlands edition, there are many more plot hooks to be added into Mm -hmm. it. Um, It is, in my opinion, probably... The, um, I would say it is the blueprint for classic Dungeons & Dragons modules, for classic dungeon crawling. There is your camp, your hideout, your city, keep, whatever. This is where your base of operations. You go to the dungeon, cave, forest, whatever it is, fight the monsters, clear it out, solve the mystery, save the princess, get the sword, destroy the sword, whatever it might be. <laughs> And you go back and forth between the two as you need. Uh, Also see the plot to the very first Diablo game by uh, Blizzard. You go into the dungeon, you go back into town. Into the dungeon, back into the town. And then finally, someone had the idea, hey, let's create these portals in the deeper parts of the dungeon so they can just take a shortcut back to town. (laughs) Uh, But that's the keep on the Borderlands. And that sounds simplistic in its description of it, but it is... is elegant in the way that it's made Mm -hmm. Um, you can be and what i mean by elegant about that you can be as kick down the door munchkin kill the monster take the treasure go to the next area kill the monster take the treasure level up get more powerful as you want or because it is very sandbox in nature You can add a storyline in there. You can, like I said, get involved with the cultists, get involved with the raiders. You can get involved with um, the people at the keep um, and get different things going on there. You can, you know, uh, there's plot lines having to do with the Castellan at the keep. There's plot lines having to do with the Merchants Guild, with the Thieves Guild, all kinds of things. Uh, You can just take your own plot lines and dump them right in there. They fit in there perfectly. Uh, and that's what i think what makes a really good module what really makes a good module is you can take all the setting stuff and chuck it out the window and plug it into whatever adventure you're doing you know that's what i like about the keep on the borderlands yeah
0: yeah i agree wholeheartedly uh it, it very much is this just kind of like rough canvas and then uh, you you paint my numbers whatever picture you want to appear there kind of thing mm-hmm. um what to, what would you say are some of the more quintessential parts to? What are some things that you think that like anyone that's played this has a connection to this thing that will happen or this creature that's here, this you know setting? Like for me personally, one of the things I remember that night, uh, you know, with with the buddies down the road uh, playing this, um, I remember them going into that. I, I believe it's the orc cave that has all the heads on the shelves, and then one mm-hmm. of them's the orc that's kind of the lookout.
2: Um,
1: yeah. Playing Dead is one of the uh, heads on the shelf, yeah. One of the things that I remember, and this comes from uh, a high school game of this that I ran. Uh, And when I say high school, I think it was more junior high, freshman, you know, so a bunch of young dumb boys for the most part. (laughs) And the way the game, the the way the module is written is if anyone listening... Is anyone listening? If anyone's listening,
0: <laughs> oh yeah! Spoiler and, alert. Sorry, I guess I should have had that at the beginning of the episode. Damn it. Yeah. Right.
1: Um. Anyway, if you, if you go Google it, you can find just Google "Caves of Chaos" and you'll find a map on it, and you'll see, you know, the non-repro blue um, map that's been made of it, and it's got all the letters on it. More or less, it's kind of railroady if you run it this way, but it's designed to go from alphabetically <laughs> as far as the, the difficulty of the adventure. Down at the bottom, it's like you'll, it's supposed to, you've got these contour lines on the, the map and you've got these caves highlighted and each cave has A, B, C, D, E, all the way up to K. The, and that's at the bottom of the, um, the valley. Each cave is the level suggestion I guess you would say uh, of what you should try. Uh, So spoilers cave a primarily a kobolds camp is in cave. A. kobolds are the ultimate cannon fodder monster in D and D. And then when you come out, you go up, the the mountain a little bit up the valley into cave b which is just a little higher and so now you're hitting orcs a little harder to to deal with next to that's a cave which is an orc layer another one more orcs but then you've gone through a b c and then go and then there d are goblins a little tougher than uh, basic orcs so as you go through this adventure and as the um letters go up Your experience level goes up. Your levels go up. The difficulty is harder. The monsters are harder. The plot gets thicker. You know, this is when you start running into those cultists and stuff like that. And you've got and if you've got that one kid in your group when you were in high school, junior high and every group has it. You're going to have that one guy who wants to be the evil, lone wolf, Wolverine, Deadpool, I'm Batman kind of guy. He wants to go at his alone, and heaven forbid he doesn't hit something. And he's going to throw it a complete curveball into your game and want to join up with the cultists. You know, that's going to happen every time, you know. I, especially if you're going to be somewhere, you know, if, like I said, when we played this, we were kids and you're always going to have someone, you know, do that. So I think that's one of the great things about it is, uh, as, as you play it, it should get harder just like any game, but
2: Absolutely. I remember,
1: yeah. And I remember going back to that. So I, all of that talking, all of that blah of words, um, we started playing this game, and one of them, and I think this might have been when I was playing with my cousins. Um, they said, "Well, let's go to the top and work our way down." And I'm like, uh, I, you know, I don't want a railroad. I don't, I don't. I didn't even. I didn't even have an NPC there to go. Well, maybe not." You know, not I, I find I have to add an NPC to every group now, just to <laughs> just to meta keep them alive. But that doesn't always help either. Anyway, so they started. I want to say with the with the minotaur at level one. Yeah, um, <laughs> one of them got killed, and I think they retreated, ran back to the keep. And then I had an NPC at the keep go. Oh yeah, people go raiding out there all the time, but you know the higher you go up, that's where the bigger monsters are, and so they keep all the small ones down below. You know, I kind of just, it's <laughs> like here, 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 here's some exposition for you. Maybe this will help. So.
0: Yeah, some of the things I remember. I remember the yeah, almost every session I've ever played of this. Uh, you, you always get into the big conflict with the the ogre, the whole briark situation. Oh, that's where, classic. Yeah, in, in town you're you're told that briark is uh, what is it, Goblin for surrender? When really that's the yeah. name of the ogre that they're sending into battle. And then uh, you got the the owl bear that always harasses you if you end up camping anywhere near the caves. And you got the uh, the shrine of evil chaos. The the thing I remember there always happening is the the bell that summons all the undead minions uh, into action. Those are some of my my points, to the touchstones that I, I think yeah. anytime I talk with someone, that's something we can share about this if, module.
1: If you're looking at it in video game, that the shrine is kind of the end boss. Yeah. If there is one to this game, it's the shrine.
0: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, if if we're gonna do if we're gonna do anything to this module, if we're gonna change it in any way. It sounds to me like from your standpoint, we definitely want to keep it sandboxy. We would definitely want to keep it to where, you know, that plot can go anywhere it needs to go. Um, Is there anything else that you would say, you know, look, this is, this is untouchable. If, if you change this, you've changed the game, you've made it so it's no longer the keep on the borderlands.
1: No, because Gary Gygax was not a firm believer in that, you know, uh, he always said, you know, you should, you should play games, play role playing games, then learn to run role playing games, learn to write your own modules, learn to write your own role playing games, publish your own role playing. You know, he saw the whole the whole hobby as being, you know, it's D-Y. almost like in his eyes, yeah, it, it should be very much so. And if you come up with something out of left field, go with it. That you know, he was always good with that. He was for all his writing stuff down and using of modules, I know Gary Gygax was also quite the improv DM because like I said, he would often, if he didn't know what to do, he would say it's a uh, one and two, one and six, two and six, but just roll. And he would just make something up and roll a D six and make a decision.
0: All right. So, uh, what parts of this do you feel like, uh, could, could stand to be retouched? Could, you know, if, if you were going to run it for these, these kids at the library or if, you were going to, you know, you were told, "Hey, rewrite this. We're going to publish it again. What needs done?"
1: I wouldn't change a whole lot. What about you?
0: I would change a lot, <laughs> and I know wouldn't this. You? Really, <laughs> I know this will lose a lot of, uh, you know, this is our second episode. We we just lost half our fan base, I'm sure, uh, but. Uh, there are things I really love about this module, but there are things that I feel like if if you don't handle better than what they were presented back in its publication, um, it, it grinds down on the party. Like what I've noticed playing it myself. Well,
1: that would be plot points, though,
0: wouldn't you say? Well, sorta. Of. Like, like what I notice is that uh, anytime I've played this or anytime that I ran it for people, uh, it becomes a slog. Uh, when you get to the caves, it, 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 at first it starts off really fun. Oh yeah, yeah we're, we're going and killing kobolds, we're raiding this cave, we're doing that. But if it's not handled right, it, and there's not a lot of advice on this in the book, um, all these goblinoid races, they become very vanilla. Okay, And early D&D was terrible about that. They did not really, early on, help you understand, well, why, why is it any different fighting a kobold than a goblin other than the hit points? Why is it different fighting a, a hobgoblin than an orc? And uh, I've done a lot of research on that, and it has developed over time, but it's just not presented here. Like, like the way these creatures are living, the way they're interacting, the way they interact with the characters, uh, you know, it's, it's very open. It's not, you know, the book doesn't tell you one thing or another, and that's good, but in a way it's bad for a new uh, game master. You're not given any direction on how to make it have that feel where every cave is somewhat unique.
1: Well, yeah, you could even have, like, there's a group of goblins. I, I get what you're saying. You can have a group of goblins in one cave and they're, you know, re-arc, we're going to fight you automatically. You have a group of goblins in another cave, they're actually not as warlike and they really just want to keep a low profile so they don't get attacked by adventurers. Well, that's not something that's in the module, you know. That's something you've got to add to it. Uh, that's That style of playing, too, I think, is a lot of it. But, yeah, I I definitely see what you mean. For the most part, it's like, I mean, when you say that, I think of this this orc that's getting ready to attack, and he stops and just kind of, you know, but but what's my motivation? (laughs) 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 Why do I want to run this magic user through the heart with my spear? Will I get out of it? Will it put more food on the table for my children? Will it help me make my mortgage payments? Hmm. Oh, well, (laughs) you know, and he attacks anyway. You know, yeah. but I mean, there, there yeah, are what's like, the, what's the motivation for the monsters? Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, sort of. I mean, it's, it's, it's more like, um, it's almost more like an ecology, uh, study.
1: You and I have uh, had this conversation many times.
0: So, so yeah, I, I've done, I, I went back to prepare for this episode. Uh, I went back and I read every monster manual from basic Dungeons and Dragons all the way up through fifth edition. Uh, on on all these goblin uh, goblinoid races the the gnolls the the hobgoblins the goblins the orcs the kobolds uh, the bugbears I'm missing somebody there somewhere but but the point being
1: hobgoblins goblins bugbears gnolls th- no, there, I think you got everything.
0: Th- there's this cool kind of branching that happens as you go forward in time and it really it kind of starts with a, a dragon magazine article by Roger Moore who first kind of breaks down like you know, tribally, how are these groups different, you know, what, you know, he kind of gets a lot into the the theology and stuff of the different races, Um, but once you see that, once you kind of are able to break them apart and how they exist and are different, like, for example, um, kobolds are are very mischievous, very, you know, they they know they're weak, and so they defend themselves with their, their intelligence. And setting traps and things like that, and their tunnels, you know, they're only like two foot tall uh, or so. So their tunnels will be really tiny, and, and that should be a totally different feel for adventurers going through the kobold tunnels than when they get to like a hobgoblin tunnel where it's man sized, you know. Um, mm-hmm. the,
1: the, it's almost like it should be a little more terrifying with the kobolds.
2: Yeah, yeah, it really would be
1: because you're in a confined <laughs> On space. Your
2: knees uh, and coons.
1: I think of the stories I've heard and read about, like, the tunnel-wrapped soldiers in Vietnam, yeah. you know, going into the tunnels armed with a flashlight and a pistol, and that's it.
0: <laughs> you know? yeah But, uh, you know, so so having, you know, if I'm going to run this in, for a modern game, I'm going to go back in, I'm going to pencil in all sorts of uh, traps and things, and how those kobolds are going to defend that, that cavern space, and I'm going to make it more narrow, I'm going to kind of shrink it down to where it really is their size um the orcs orcs their society is like this almost degenerative society they don't take care of their weapons they don't you know they they basically what they have they, they typically take from others or they forge indiscriminately uh and and from a lot they're of the
2: very cookie cutter.
0: yeah, yeah and, and they're also supposed to be really uh pretty zealot uh you know and, and, and you know i'm not you know, I know not all Muslims are like this, uh, so please, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody here. But if you look at like the the really far out um, militant, you know, claiming uh, jihad on everybody, sort of Muslims. I mean, that's kind of the closest to a modern world example of how the orcs read, you know, that they,
1: let's say it's the, the 1980s, uh, Delta Force, Chuck Norris movie version of Muslims.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just that's like,
1: that's Farthest Very extreme. Stereotypical. Right. They,
0: you know, their, 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 their God has given them, given them on, un, uh, unrestrained commands to destroy all others. And, and, and even the other hobgoblins and, and, uh, goblinoid creatures, they don't really like the orcs because of that. Um, the hobgoblins, there on the other hand, uh, they're conditioned to be more simian-like, more ape-like, human-like. Uh, they they build their own weapons. They have tactics in warfare. And once you read all these, I'm not going to go into every single race, but but you really can. I mean, it's it's out there uh, between the monster manuals and the the articles you can find that are all you know canon. Um, there are some significant differences that if you go into the game with that in mind and and you kind of re readjust their layers and how they'd be laid out and how they would feel and, and react to, to players coming into them. Uh, I think it could make it a lot more interesting than just, you know, here's a, a thousand rooms of things to kill kind of thing.
1: Well, you know, and it, if you're going to take that look with the orcs, and this, again, is not the sound... Uh, prejudiced about it, but this is a good example, in my opinion, is you've got the orcs and you've got the goblins, but especially with the orcs, you could have what, you know, you have, like, the native peoples of America. You, you know, you, know, you have orcs, you can have Indian, okay, for lack of a better term, okay? Well, some people, you know, they used to think all Indians are Indians. No, no there's no, different no. tribes, different cultures, different beliefs. A lot of similarities, but you know, you had Comanche, you had Apache, you had Iroquois, you had Navajo, you had uh, uh, Miami. You know, some were very, and, and that's know, that's very really peaceful. good. Some were yeah. very warlike, you know.
0: And that's a good analog too, because in the caves of caves of chaos, you have two different orc tribes next to each other that that. That explicitly in the book say it says that you know they don't really get along. They have to kind of have these councils to try to keep peace between them.
1: Yeah, and I find that's the easiest. Way. In fact, I've been doing that in my games for years. You know, you have the you have the the clan of the White Hand, which is kind of a Lord of the Rings reference. You know, and they're a very warlike. Uh, Uh, you know, race or whatever of a tribe or clan or whatever of orcs, then you would have what I would call like the, the the clan of the gray wolf, very territorial, very, very tough, very strong, but they don't, they don't start fights. They're not aggressive, but if you start a fight with them, you've unleashed the whirlwind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and those, those are two examples I've used a lot uh, as far as I want some variety of the, of the orc characters because they are characters. They're non-player characters, but you know, it also makes it seem a lot more realistic.
0: Definitely. yeah you know, one of the other things that, uh, and I think they fixed this moving forward and I don't fault it. I mean, this was, you know, this is literally what, like one of the first handfuls of adventures written for D and um, But the, the caves are pretty stagnant. They're, they're very two dimensional. Um, mm-hmm. they, they're in this huge valley but there's no water feature that, that is there to suggest how it was made. I mean, he, if you look on the Wilderness map, the closest river doesn't look like it ever would have gone by that area. Um, now, I think in the return to the keep on the borderlands, they, they actually fixed that and made it so there is a water feature that, that carved this valley. And
1: You are. I just looked at it. I, I have him yeah. right next to me.
0: And it also does a good job with making the, the caves more three-dimensional. It puts the uh, the minotaur... Cave actually like overlaps all of them, so it connects to it. Um, so in, in that respect, I kind of really appreciate that revision of this module. It takes takes into account some some actual you know environmental science when we're looking at how this would be set up.
1: Well, yeah, like I said, we've talked about this before. You go into a cave, and you know there's a you know giant scorpion in a cave of sand. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, it's like. The, Did someone put it here on purpose, or is this just it decided to come down here? You know, (laughs) there's there's got to be kind of a uh, a thematic rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't say as I don't blame you. I guess maybe I don't see it that way because I tend to kind of put those things in my games anyway. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, it's like, uh, but sometimes it's also okay if you want to do just a, you know. Okay, if you were just going to run this as a in-your-face dungeon crawl, one or two sessions for some friends, it's not super serious, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. uh, we're all adults now, and we're having adult beverages, and we're just going to, you know,
2: well, would you change nice, anything? Yeah. Then if
1: you're just going to do a dungeon crawl and, hey, let's play Keep on the Borderlands in an old-school style, would mm-hmm. you still change anything? But if it was part of a campaign, then I could definitely say Yeah. That. Changed.
0: Well, and that's the thing, though, is it's such a beautiful setting for a campaign. You know, it's all oh, yeah. right there. I mean, you know, you've got years of playing Wait. right here.
1: We more or less did for almost a solid year. Yeah. We used the keep, and then when we were transitioning to another part of our campaign, uh, we had, like, your guys' characters winter at the keep. Mm-hmm. So that was all kind of done off stage. But we did. We used the keep. Uh, we use the keep quite a bit.
0: And yeah, we, we didn't even really mention. I mean, you, you mentioned there's the the raiders that are like have a little outpost on a hill outside the keep. You know, what are they about? What are they doing? And then you also have the lizard men and the the spider forest and the hermit in the woods and there's a lot of other things. You know, just uh, you know, just on top of the caves of chaos.
1: Well, and in our in our game that we did several years ago, what was it? I had the the uh, the cultists in the shrine developed a skeleton army, and they were actually going to now assault the keep and mm-hmm. wipe them out from continually sending, um, you know, city watch and, and guards and soldiers and stuff. To the, You know, they were done with it. It's like, no, no, we're going to take over the keep. Ended up being a great big siege, which... You know, and then uh, we have one player, Preston, who has the brilliant idea. <laughs> as the skeleton armies, yeah, is standing and waiting to uh, uh, attack the keep. They're just waiting for that magic word. While they're standing there, he he's like, okay, well, we're going to go through, and all these skeletons are armed with swords. I'm going to pop the thumbs off of every single skeleton. <laughs> Suddenly, they can't <laughs> hold swords anymore. <laughs> And that was a huge detriment to my big Siege of the Keep storyline. But he did it, so I applied it. <laughs> you know, I didn't have someone come back through with some Gorilla Glue and attach all the thumbs again. Nope. It's what he did. He earned it. It was really brilliant.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Remove their thumbs.
1: I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other
0: thing. And, again, I understand, you know, this Gygax wrote this as just kind of a a generic thing you do with it, what you want, but I feel like that's where it's missing out. I mean, the, you know, it's nice to have maps uh, that are keyed to something, but I think you know, to make it a module to put it into a sense of adventure. Uh, I, I like those plot hooks. I, w- I would like to have like uh, Ron Edwards, the the founder of the Forge for independent game developers. Um, I had a conversation with him once about sandbox adventures and how you make them work. Um, and not just kind of sputter out. He said that to to really make them work, you you have to have some sort of um, wind down. You have to have something that that is going to happen. And no matter what the players do, this thing's always in the background getting closer and closer to happening, and that ratchets up the tension enough to to hold it as a story, not just people wandering around. And I think that idea of – a
1: subplot of sorts.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so setting that up like the that the hey,
1: timers, you know, the timer's ticking whether the players know it or not. And unless certain things happen or they may take action, this is going to occur.
0: Yeah. And I think that's that's something the game could use. Is 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 some sort of timeline that hey, you know, the the priest of the evil chaos, he he's got these things in mind and this is how long it's going to take him to do it. The the Raiders this is what they're up to, and this is how long it's going to take them to do it. And sure, any any game master can do that, but I feel like for the price of admission, it's nice to have it included. And then you can monkey with it how you like, but at least it's there.
1: No, no, I agree. That You know what, that would be a good addition. So, is there anything you would change? Um, Whenever I play Keep on the Borderlands, I tend to not use any of the plot hooks that are in it. So what I usually do is we bring our own plot hooks with it. Um, quite often, um, we I, in modern campaign settings, I dump the Keep on the Borderlands in the middle of an ongoing campaign already. And because it's very sandbox, they can decide what they're going to do. Do they go there and do anything about it? Do we just interact at the Keep for a couple of days and go on their way? I'm open either way. And I can find elements of the, the keep that I could add to it. But I think an overall subplot of more nefarious means would definitely add to the game. I think you're right. Uh, you know, if you're just going to run it as a sandbox, well, then you know what? You're running Keep on the Borderlands not as a game, not as a campaign, but as your setting. If you ran, okay, that's what I would change. I would add more to it and make it more setting available. So that if you wanted to base uh, the keep as your character's, you know, base of operations, it's now becoming a setting. It's now becoming the town they're from, kind of like my Grayfall setting. You know, you go out, you have adventures, and you all eventually come back home. It's not <laughs> a tour of the realms sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I would add uh, a frontier town nearby or a village maybe an elven village nearby, you know, kind of flesh out the area. But then again, it's made to kind of be plugged into any setting that you have, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know? So, yeah. And you know what? People either love dungeon crawls or they don't They either love modules or they don't. Uh, there's such, you know, it's very much a division between modules and, uh, original settings. Um, you know, if if you are so inclined, you're going to like it. If you're not, you're not. It's just the way it is. Well, like I got to say, personally, like I've kind
0: of kind of undulated on that. I mean, there was, you know, early on when I first started gaming, I thought, oh, this is this is just getting in my way of gaming. I just like making stuff up as we go or making up my own things ahead of time. And then I kind of went the other way where oh, I bought everything that was uh, Forgotten Realms, and oh, I just got to know every character and all this. And then I went the other way, and now I'm kind of in a nice, happy medium, but uh, I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, modules are like scripts. And you, as the director or the dungeon master, you are going to adapt that script to what you need it to be or what you see it to be. And I think um, Keep on the Borderlands is definitely one of those. And there's several others that are the same way. Take it, plug it into wherever you want. Ricky, do you have anything to add?
3: Um, About a module I've never played, not much But uh, <laughs> basically uh, I I think that you can Kind of make something What you want it I mean, it doesn't matter You know, if you want to portray something a little bit differently Then do that I, You know, and there's, I don't know about The water thing I kind of get But I mean, there's magic in these
2: yeah.
3: things So It could always be a magical stream in the wherever <laughs> in the desert or whatever you know in the driest of all lands so I guess it's just whatever you you know want to make it I think that's the point of what gaming is about right so you have something laid before you but it doesn't have to be exactly the what it is because it's your game ultimately
1: do that yeah yeah I think I think that's it. it ultimately it's your game you add to it or not use it you know however you want. A couple of quick points I wanted to throw out
0: before we close. Uh, some things I found interesting. Uh, and Thomas may have even noticed this before or not, but there's a um, there's a curate that's in the town. That, that you know, like a priest. Not not, but not the priest. There's also a priest, and he's he, he's a backstabber. But that's beside the point. Anyhow, yeah, there's a curate that will actually help the characters go and fight the the monsters in the uh, caves. And uh, mm-hmm. if you look at his stats and his magic items. And you look at the uh, the cleric of evil chaos; they are like the same. Like there's there, there's almost no difference. They got like yeah, the I same magical items, the same uh, same stats and everything. There's a little bit of difference, but not much. I think one of them has like a a little bit higher level or something like that.
2: But yeah, thought, it's a moot point,
1: whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I thought that was weird because like this, you know, this was written before you could cut and paste things. You know, so it wasn't just somebody being like, "Well, I'll just start with this as a base and." Um, They all had to be originally typed. Um, so I wonder what that was about. It's just kind of interesting that you would make them identical, you know. Uh, I think you could almost go with a plot point on that, you know. Are these guys brothers, twins, you know. Is this somehow the same person that's been fractured into a good and evil half? Uh, I don't know.
1: No, that would be a cool plot point, though.
0: And then the other thing I f- found a little bit interesting was just the idea that it's not the, the temple of uh, chaotic evil, but it's the shrine, Uh, So, you know, being Catholic, uh, we have designations of shrines versus churches. Uh, And so, like, a shrine is usually, like, where something notable happened or where some holy object rests. Uh, So, you know, I wonder what, you know, why is this the shrine of chaotic evil? Does it have to do with that cup that's there? Does it, you know, what happened here that made it so special? Why is it so far from the road, Uh, you know, if it was a place that, you know, evil clerics or whatever often traveled to, to to exonerate whatever it was i don't know
1: well you know it might be that that's a really good point and it might be that they're looking at that from the same reason of like who wrote it you know i know gygax was not a particularly spiritual guy but i also wonder how much you know it says it's by gary gygax i don't know if he wrote this whole thing himself or was you know he just the editor so he could put his name on the cover well, I've I've listened to interviews with uh, Frank Metzer, and uh, mm-hmm. a, according
0: to him, it is like ninety nine percent all Gary, all him. The feel at TSR back then was, you know, if Gary writes something, you you, you tread lightly on on editing it, and that was his job at the time. And he yeah. claims he claims in interviews that uh, he did his very first thing he ever did for TSR was to write up the church that exists at the keep, that that wasn't there originally. But Gary had the, uh, the priest and the curate, and he's like, well, if you got these holy people, you got to have a church in town. Uh, so he, he wrote that up and said, hey, what do you think about adding this? And they did, but uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, I've got a question, and I'm going to move this a little forward. Um, um, what is an innovation that you would add to this? I've, I've got an idea to it. Um, and that is uh I am gonna hear your idea first, but what would you add to this besides that? What's what innovation would you try and introduce to it? You know, and having not played this, uh Briggy, you know, you know, you of course could add anything you wanted to it as well, being a newbie to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So what would you guys add to this to, to make it work for you or to make it work in a setting you would want to use? Or take out, whichever.
0: Um for me, uh, I definitely I'm going back through and I'm I'm making all the the homes of the goblinoids different from each other, uh, making the, the goblinoids feel different to the players, the way they're gonna interact and react. Um, I would like to add some sort of like rail system or something, like some sort of like mine cart that ratchets it up on the side of the face or I don't know what you call it, but anyhow. Um, I'd like the Knolls to have like some slaves that like operate this mine cart that takes people up and down because it just seems weird that you got all these people living in these these relatively dangerous uh, altitudes with you know big slopes off of them so I feel like you know adding in some sort of mechanism for those those more elite monsters. So you
1: do- You would do, like, an urban renewal public transport?
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, there would be the blue line and the... No. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But just, I think it would be cool for the players to see that, oh, you know, there are these these, uh, goblinoids that are not only organized, but they... You know, they have these systems in place, and there's this whole civilized... Uh, it, it's the idea that, the, that that these goblinoids are actually establishing themselves here, and they're making some permanent structures, and they're revitalizing this, and this is some serious crap, and the people that keep need to know it, you know. I kind of played around with the idea of these the, the Curate and the uh, Cleric of Evil Chaos, and I thought, well, maybe you could have some... There's that little pool in Cave G there... Maybe there could be some, like, evil totem that rests in that pool, and it's polluted the pool with dark magics, and anyone that looks into the pool and sees their reflection will be, like, split into a good and evil half. And then you could have some fun with that with some characters, maybe, or something. I don't know.
3: Well, yeah, that sounds good. So, you know, something like that could be, I think, done in a lot of modules or whatever. You can just, it brings a little bit more, um, character depth to the whole game situation,
1: you know? um, Um. I've got a question for you in particular, though, Briggy. Um, uh, You are Mm -hmm. big into Lord of the Rings, and you have the... um, Who is it? Is it Cubicle 7 that does... They did uh, the one-ring role-playing game, and they also had the Adventures of Middle-Earth, which was the one-ring material with 5th edition rules, how could you see, without reading it, of course, how would you add the keep on the Borderlands to another setting like, say, Lord of the Rings into Middle-earth? I know that's an off-the-cuff question. You probably need some time to think about it.
3: I don't know if you need time to think about it. I mean, in regards to, like,
1: geographical or... Yeah, well, okay, here's a question. Okay, here's a question for both of you. When you play in a D&D game, where do you place the keep on the Borderlands if you have a setting? If you if you're playing Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or Mystara or Ravenloft even or whatever, where do you place the keep on the borderlands? Where does it fit? Um, you know, so in Middle Earth, where would you put the keep? Going by what you know now, there's this keep. It's in this wild area um, nearby. There's uh, this you know Warren of Monsters that sometimes is a problem. In Middle Earth, where would you put it? Um. In
3: it's there's a lot of, did you say a lot of just goblins more than anything else, or...
0: It's it's everything. Orcs, yeah, goblins, hobgoblins, gnolls.
3: Well, then it should have to be, you know, in the bad area. I mean, not necessarily <laughs> Moria. <laughs> the low-rent district. But it would, you know, well, I mean, it because it if it would be a lot of goblins, then maybe I'd make it near Goblin Town, which is kind of near uh, Missy Mountains-ish, sort of. Mm-hmm. And there's goblins all over Middle-earth. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds Moria-ish to me, and it's caves, so that makes a lot of sense.
1: Kind of like maybe the keep that's just outside the uh, the mines of Moria, you know, before... Right you know, because uh, we're, we're reading together uh, the Lord of the Rings right now, and we're in the Fellowship of the Ring, and they've just entered the mines of Moria, and they talk about how people used to come and do trading with the people at, Mor- at the dwarves of Moria, uh, you know, maybe a few miles off is where the keep is, and the caves That's of chaos loose. lay in between, you know, something like that. What about you, Louis? Where would you put it, in what particular setting?
0: Uh, th- almost every time I've used it, um, it is always this no-name little podunk town that's on the farthest mm-hmm. edge of, of, of civilization. Uh, and I always make the keep a lot more drastic than how it appears. Like, it is always like, man, we have just enough water and food to last another couple weeks. And, and you know, we're, we're besieged by, you know, these people on this side and those people on that side. And we, you know, we're really pinned down. I try to really get that Western desperado sort of feel to it. Um, yeah. I
1: like, I like that whole, it's, it's on, it's, it's on the frontier. I go for uh, that kind of feeling of it's an old West fort. It's like, yeah. Um, Cause it doesn't, it's not like on any trade routes. Why is it even there? There's a keep on the borderlands. I mean, is it, you know, just for protection or what? Um, one of the things, anyway, I'm going to keep going so we can get to our trivia section here, but, um, I would transpose this very weirdly, and I think it would work to a science fiction setting. Yeah. The the keep is a base or a space station. Mm. The caves become an asteroid field, or maybe it's a Badlands area of space. So the characters can go back and forth between the two if they need to. I think it would work really well in a Star Trek game. Uh, because you can have, you know, your your characters in your uh you know, if you're doing classic Star Trek with the Enterprise, or you have them in a Constitution class ship, or an Intrepid class ship, which is what Voyager was, and you know they're patrolling the Badlands, they're trying to uh, root out kind of the bad guys. Uh, they're trying to, you know, make peace for the area. They're being the the cavalry on patrol, and they'll they make their circuit, they make their patrol route, and you know, in a month they come back to the Keep, which is Deep Space Nine, or it's you know Starbase One Eleven, or whatever. You know, so I I, I could see it
0: being like a, like the characters get there and it's abandoned. Like, you know, where did the, where did the settlers go for this colony, you know, and then uh they hunt them down, you know, what's left of them at the caves. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And actually, I
1: think it would even, even work best in like an original series era kind of goes with the old school style of the module originally, you know. Um, but that's what I always thought would be cool. You could also do supervillains, like it's a supervillains layer, but eh, I think that would be a stretch. I think science fiction works really well. I this.
0: wonder about uh, reversing it, having the characters play as these, like, you know, Neanderthalic kind of characters living in the caves and the uh, the monsters live in the keep and, you know, see, see if they can do. You know, there, there was a module they wrote like that called Reverse Dungeon where, where you yeah, played yeah, as I the, you know. That. It'd be kind of interesting to reverse roles and see if the characters could defend the caves against an onslaught of uh, marauding, you know, villains or whatever.
1: Well, there's a, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a fear the boot, one of the fear the boot hosts. John Grana created uh, for Pathfinder. It was his Blood Moon Goblins setting, where pretty much you all play the goblins. And the rules, I think, didn't go real far in leveling up because you're not expected to survive. <laughs> it's basically you are in your goblin, you're in your goblin Warren, and you are going to defend it against the high and mighty muckety muck adventurers that are coming into it. Well, what if you flipped that and played the Caves of Chaos, and you're all playing goblins, you're all playing orcs, and you're actually now, you know what? Screw you, adventurer types from the keeper defending our our home. <laughs>
0: freedom of religion man whether it's chaotic chaotic evil or not
1: right but anyway that'd be a different take you could take on the, on, uh, <laughs> the
0: cave yeah any final thoughts we need to close this one out and get to our uh geek cred here
1: um, no, I think I need to run this for my family at least. I think they would really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. uh, if it's not going to be a big heavy RP thing, like we're doing a little bit with Ravenloft, they love vampires. That's what I got them to uh, to, to buy into it. But the other thing they really love is just being murder hobos. <laughs> so if you just want to be murder hobos, keeping the Borderlands it works really well for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, as, as
0: much as I may have seemed to trash the module, I, I definitely have a warm spot in my heart for it, and I think that uh,
1: any serious gamer has to have it on their bookshelf. I mean, it's just a must-have. And there's – so you know what? You can get the any one of the original prints in varying conditions. should be had for cheap. 1.5 yeah. on,
0: yeah. million people, 1.5 million. It's the most abundant yeah. game uh, accessory on earth here.
1: Yeah, I mean, you should be able to get it. Um, this is not the original that I had I think I paid maybe ten bucks for it it's it's a well-soiled, well soiled uh, will version um, i I don't think you should pay depending on certain versions of it no more than ten to twenty dollars at most you know
0: it, and honestly it, it's a lot more expensive but I almost prefer the return to the keep if you can get your hands on that but it's it's a lot harder to get
1: It is a lot harder to get it is a lot more expensive what's funny is it was originally. Um, retail return, which is absolutely 100% set in Greyhawk. It uh, retailed for 12.95. dollars um, 95 uh, in, what year was it? 1999. yeah. Yep. And then it uh, looks like this was, I got this, I think I got this from uh, Gamers Plus at Gen Con, which if uh, anyone out there listening, if you're in the Chicago area, or going through the Chicago area, and you've not been to Gamers Plus, you gotta go. Um, anyway, and they had it. Some place called Castle Perilous had it for fifteen bucks. Um, I think this new copy that I got, I paid twenty four. I
0: got yeah. lucky. Uh, online, it's like eighty nine dollars. Yep. eBay or whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think what happened is the person didn't know what they had, and I glommed onto it, and I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm fine with that. Yeah.
0: Uh, so next week, uh, or not next week? Uh, next episode. I don't know how many weeks that'll be, but next episode, uh, we're looking into UK One, the first uh, officially titled uh, United Kingdoms module for TSR um, Beyond the Crystal Cave. So we'll take a look like, at that.
1: That is my number two favorite module. I love it. <laughs> it's 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 got some.
0: Uh, it, it definitely. It's even
1: more sandboxy than. <laughs>
0: Yeah, kind of. It's got—I don't know. It's got a plot behind it, though. But oh no,
1: it does have yeah. a plot. And it, like you said, there are things that will occur whether you do something or not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and we'll go into the the details. But it, it really is, uh, to some extent, a, a groundbreaking module as far as some of the things it does that hadn't been done before. But but we'll leave that for next episode. All okay. right. All right. So. Let's get on to some geek cred. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you have any geek credit? Okay,
0: Louie. Oh, by the way, by the way, I looked into it, man, and uh, I I, I had several other sources that uh, showed that, in fact, uh, Kroll the Conqueror was originally uh, Conan the Conqueror, and they just changed names in the script and changed a few details. So I, you, you still got your creds. still three out of five oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh but i cannot give you that point man i'm sorry
1: Oh i'm not worried about that i had to do that <laughs> which is funny because you know in the same sort of thing maybe that's why i'm confused with it in the same sort of thing uh you remember the masters of the universe movie with Dolph uh,
2: oh yeah well
0: no no i've never seen it <laughs> i swear it it
1: was it did so well uh <laughs> Not really. Um, it did well enough to do a sequel. They were going to do a sequel to it. And uh, um, anyway, that, of course, pooped out. It ended up all the props and costumes and sets and everything that they were. It got turned into the movie. Um, oh, man, I can't remember right now. You know, I edit this out. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I want to say Universal Soldier, but it wasn't that. Um, it was a John Claude Van yeah, that... movie, though, is why it got turned Interesting, huh? Yeah. Okay, so Geek Cred. All right, um, all right. So, d- so, Lou, you are going to be on the hot seat this week.
0: All right, and, and since call. it's only our second one, just to, to familiarize the uh, the listeners, so in, in Geek Cred, one of us asks questions, one of us answers. They're typically true or false, multiple choice. Uh, five questions, we tally them up, we'll keep a running tally, and then uh, at episode, I don't know, 25 or 50 or something, some phenomenal episode. We'll see who's ahead. And uh, you, the listeners, need to tell us what the prize is or uh, what the loser has to do or gets. We'll, we'll, we'll turn it over to you to tell us, tell us yeah. the uh, reaction Also,
1: here. you can send in a set of five questions. Oh, yeah. And we'll take those and uh, target uh, one person in particular for them. Or target all three of us and see if we can collectively succeed.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. OK, so the, a lot of these are actually not yes or, or no true or false questions for you, but they are a lot of several of them are one word answers. So we're going to go with number one. You are, as last I remember, a big fan of the Marvel Comics character Hawkeye. Hawkeye is one of those superheroes that has no superpowers or armor or magic or super science. That is like magic. It is just his fighting ability ability, and his bow. For a brief time, he did have superpowers. Um, this is during the 70s. What was his superhero name when he did have powers?
0: So for a while, uh, Hawkeye took uh, Dr. Pym's formula and he became Giant Man.
1: Um, I'm going to go with that is, a, uh, that is correct, even though it, technically he was Goliath. Oh, Goliath. Yes, you're right. Yeah, but you know what? No, no, you were totally on right there. Yeah. Both Gs and everything. Yeah, you got that.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Hank, Hank Pym uh, like wigged out. It was after his you know, yellow jacket days. He had like multiple personalities, and so he kind of got off the roster, and then they, they used him to replace him sort of.
1: Okay, so there you go. There's one. Number two. How you and I met and became friends by playing the the Star Wars West End Games uh role playing game at the Castle Comics in Lafayette, Indiana. How many Star Wars RPGs have there been? Hmm.
0: Well, okay, so obviously Wedge. Uh and then it got traded to TS or not TSR, but Wizards. And then Wizards redid it once. And then uh uh fantasy flights took it from there those are the only ones i'm aware of so i'm gonna say and four
1: you got it west end games then they did a revised edition then uh, they lost the license it went to wizards they came out with their version they came out the revised edition that's just a revised then they came out with the, the saga, saga right? yeah. which, which ended up being pretty much d20 modern as well hmm. um and then fantasy flight had it which someone else will probably get it now um So there we go. So here's a relatively easy question. Good. That means Uh, I can get my three. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you will get this. What is the tabletop miniature war game that preceded Dungeons & Dragons?
0: Uh, So uh, I I think what you're fishing for here is probably Chainmail.
1: That's it. All right which it made a uh, comeback uh, – well, they tried to make a comeback during 3rd edition. All right, so these are these last are getting a little harder, and this okay. is really just R-
0: – Real quick, i got to interrupt you because I've never asked you this question. Have you ever played uh, Chainmail or any of the, like, the white box D&D or any of that stuff?
1: I have PDFs of the white box D&D, and I've always wanted to dive into it. they um, just downloaded for free offline because they're so old, right? Yeah. Um, and I, you know – I have to do things like make my car payments, so yeah, (laughs) I don't have one.
2: Um,
1: um, I bought some miniatures for it, a a set of uh, orcs and dwarves, and I've painted those, but yeah, I've never played it. Um, Yeah, Number four, TSR released their Marvel RPG in 1984. It is more commonly known as Phaser Rip. What was Phaser Rip an acronym for? Oh jeez. Not uh, the acronym. Not the acronym. Oh, okay. I,
0: it's 100%. the power levels in the game, but just for my own, my own hubris here, I want to see if I can get them.
1: Well, that's uh, the bonus. Um, it's it's not the power levels. It's not. reap stood for the attributes of the characters. Oh. To, to put it in D and D terms, it was strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. I always oh. get that confused as well. So that's why I threw it in there as a trivia, because I'm like, Yeah, no. I got
0: that one wrong,
1: man. Yeah, um, but as a bonus, name those attributes, phaserip.
0: Okay. Oh, man, it's been a while since I played that game. All right, so uh, P is, I'm going to go with uh, physique. <laughs> uh, okay, let me keep going.
2: <laughs>
1: okay.
0: uh, H, I'm going to go with uh, health. There's no
1: H, not oh. with phaserip. F A F F A S. Oh, I thought it was P-H. Okay, so it's F. Okay, so... Okay. All right. Reset to the top.
0: <laughs> okay. So if I'm going with an F, uh, let's see. I'm going to go with. Um, I'm
1: thinking of the word you're thinking of right now.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, for F. Man, it's been too long. Uh, I
2: know. It's tough. Fight,
0: maybe? Fight? Yes. Got it. Yeah, okay. It a, uh, a, I'm going to go with agility. Good. Uh,. I'm gonna assume it's an S, not a Z. <laughs> That's
1: right. It's faster if you want to be. But uh, it's got an E, for it, so you could say phase.
0: Uh S, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna. I really don't think it's this, but I'm gonna go with like smarts. No. No.
1: Strength.
0: Strength. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Uh, and, and let's see. So uh, then it's an E. Yep. Uh, so E, I'm gonna go with. Uh, Endurance. Correct. Uh, R, I'm going to go with uh, Resources. Was that something? Reason.
2: Reason. But there are
0: resources in the game, if I remember right.
1: Right, and they act, yeah. I'm sure we'll
0: touch Marvel at some point. Yeah. And then I got an I and a P left. Uh Um, So I is going to be Intellect.
1: Intuition.
0: Intuition. Dagnabbit. I know, and right? uh, okay, then we got a P. Uh, man, P. What did we not do yet? Um, hmm. I feel like it's got to be something mental. Someone goes psychology.
1: I'm going to give it to you. Psyche. Psych- yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. What's interesting with that game, if anyone's listening, is uh, it had numerical values for all of these things, but those numerical values were also associated with a word. So, yeah, well, you know what? I think we'll touch that at some point. Okay, so uh, number five. This is going to be really hard, and I'm kind of a jerk for doing this. Nah, go for it. I think you might know this because this is your your jam. There were initially nine. and At first, there were more, but there were initially nine modules in the B series, which we just discussed tonight. We discussed number two. There was In Search of the Unknown was B1. Keep on the Borderlands is B2. What are the other seven? This does not have to be an oral. Uh, well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try because uh,
0: there are a few lines of uh, d d stuff that I collect, and the B series is one of them. So, I thought so. So let's see. Uh, B3 is Palace of the Silver Princess. Yep. Uh, B4 is The Lost City. Yep. B5 is my favorite, Horror on the Hill. Yep. B six is a throwaway one. Uh, I believe it's called Ve- the Veiled Society.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, B seven. I think that's uh, that's the. I always get the pronunciation wrong, but Raishia or something like Asia I think. Yeah, yeah. I always
1: thought it was uh, Racia, but I, it, I think it'd be Rasia. But yeah, yeah, you got it. Uh,
0: that's seven, right? And then B eight is yep. uh, Journey to the Stone.
1: Uh, Journey to the Rock, but I'm Rock, gonna accept. Yeah, I'm gonna accept it. that. I'm gonna accept that.
0: Uh, so that brings us to nine. Are we on? Is that B nine? B nine. Um. Oh. Oh, see, you were right
1: there too. Uh,
0: I can do it. I can do it, man. You can do
1: uh, it. Not uh, only uh, so this, this is another
0: throwaway it. one. This is the uh, uh, Castle Caldwell and Beyond, right?
1: Bang! We got a oh. win.
0: Okay, and then B ten is Night's Dark Terror. Okay. B eleven is Queen's Harvest. Nope, nope, nope. nope. B eleven is King's Festival.
1: See, you're doing you're doing them in order, and you got it. B
0: twelve right. is Queen's Harvest, and after that, you go into the solo modules and stuff like that. There's yeah, also that's... a compilation of uh, uh, In mm-hmm. Search of Adventure B one through eight. Yeah.
1: B one through nine, but you, nine, yep, nine, you got okay. it. fact, you know what? I would say. No matter what, if you everything else, this would have redeemed you, (laughs) all of them. (laughs) I I do, Cred! All right. Yeah. I said you didn't have to do it in order, but you did it in order. You're like, (laughs) I see you, nerd Cred, and I erase you. Yeah, it was uh, B3 through 9, and and I just did it to that because then they compiled them as the module B1 through 9 in search of adventure. There was B10, B11, 12, and then B Solo, Ghost of Lion Castle. Yeah.
2: Paid I wrote those that down with my too son, good.
1: actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, but anyway, there you go. That um, that is, uh, you've got geek cred, man.
0: All right. That's our show for tonight, guys. I appreciate all our listeners. And uh, uh, if, again, if you want to write into us with whatever your uh, interests are, to just uh, write us at thisolddungeon at gmail.com any uh, any outgoing uh comments
1: no just everyone stay stay safe safe. yeah and healthy yeah yes stay safe out there and uh you know we'll all get through this you know so there you go very good
0: Old Dungeon is copyright 2020. The views expressed on this show are the views of individual hosts and do not reflect the opinions or beliefs of anyone else on the show, the show itself, or even rational thought. We reserve the right to sound like complete asshats to the need arise. Submit all questions and complaints to thisoldungeon at gmail.com. Mileage made
2: ready.